You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders. I'm Fraser, and I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today, I'm your host. Welcome to this episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast, the latest in our ongoing series where we talk with leaders in the Australian tech industry about topics like culture, scalability, and growth. As ever, we have a cohort of industry leaders who are excited to share their thoughts and insights with you. Let's get into the intros. First up, we've got Jason, the Head of Technology at AttackForge. Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, um, okay, well, for those of a short-term memory, my name is Jason. I'm the Head of Technology at AttackForge. Um, AttackForge is both a, a company name and it's also a suite of products. Um, yeah, we have a website, so people interested can look it up, but fundamentally, the core thing that we do, we're a vendor that provide a tool that um, at least attempts to solve um, workflow um, management problems in the penetration testing space so in cybersecurity. So yeah, we're, we are an Australian-based company, still considered to be a startup and have a global presence around the world, um, United States, Europe, Middle East, that sort of thing, and Australia. So th- that's basically the gist of the company. Um, beyond that, personally, myself, I am... A proud father of two boys, um, seven and four years old, um, and a very lucky husband of a very supportive wife. Um, we've been together for some time, you know, since we're 18, and she's basically, uh, we met each other at university, and she's supported me from the beginning up till now. So she's, you know, she keeps my ego in check and gets me to reevaluate, you know, um, all those sort of things. And yeah, it's, it's a very lucky if you're able to, uh, Find someone like that who will keep you grounded and give you reality checks occasionally. Because when you work in, um, you know, a space where people sort of are incentivized to suck up to you, sometimes you can forget that, you know, you're not perfect. So, but anyway, that, that's pretty much that. Um, otherwise, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. So, and uh, Jay, the CTO from Sinkio. Uh, cool. Uh, I'm Jay. I've been CTO for about a decade now. Uh, different companies starting from BCs to now I'm um, into Syncio, which is a self-funded company. Uh, uh, Syncio, we democratize inventory. The meaning of that is that we basically move the inventory or replicate the inventory of a uh, store to d- different sources where they can sell inventory. So we work in the e-commerce space, specifically in the Shopify ecosystem or WooCommerce or any other e-commerce ecosystem. And uh, we are a SaaS kind of a model app, uh, very small, lean team, but like highly passionate in terms of solving that inventory replication problem. Uh, that's basically it. And uh, uh, being blessed with a three years old uh, daughter, she, uh, she always keeps me busy now working from home, not easy. <laughs> and uh, a well supported wife, again, uh, she quit her job to support this whole. Uh, uh, whole system of a family working together so hmm. uh, it's a natural progression given we have a, a toddler <laughs> that's uh, me and shashank uh cto from webjet australia tell us a bit about yourself hi i'm uh, shashank as you said cto for webjet australia um webjet for those who don't know is an online travel agency uh serving australia and new zealand uh, we are the leading online travel agency in australia uh been CTO now for uh, maybe five or six years, but been with Webjet for close to 12 years now. 
Um, so I've been with the company a long time, joined as a software dev and um, engineering manager and then as a, as a CTO. Um, a bit about myself, uh, I do have uh, two kids, uh, six and eight, um, uh, and have a, uh, I've been married for now uh, 15 years, uh, so it's a long road ahead, hopefully, uh, and um, yeah, kids keep, keep, keep us all busy. Always. And last but definitely not least, uh, Miribeth, former global CIO, author, mentor, other exciting stuff as well. Tell us a bit about yourself. So Mary Beth Hosking. Uh, yes, I've been in technology for, oh, I hate to say it, but over 20 years uh, working in transport, logistics, health, medical, entertainment, finance, etc. Um, and I am an author, so I've just released my second book, my first book in one piece, a step-by-step guide to surviving change. And my second book, When Now Means Now, so uh, which relates to career progression. A uh, bit about me, I have a 25-year-old son. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, so I'm well and truly out of the children's stuff, really. Now we have a great relationship because, you know, he's a person now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, two Norwegian forest cats. If you know anything about that breed, they are large cats where the male is uh, will get to be between 10 and 12 kilos and the female will get to be between 8 and 10 kilos and they wow. are huge and very, very fluffy. So even though no one can see me on this podcast because it's a podcast, but I'm wearing black, but if you actually got close up to me, you'd see that I am covered in fur. <laughs> <laughs> so my entire life is covered in fur, but I do a lot of public speaking now uh, and and just really enjoying being a mentor, working with people who are in that career progression space. So my firm belief is don't be afraid to pivot, be afraid not to. And I'm really looking forward to having a, a decent conversation with you guys. Perfect. Well, thank you all for, for joining us. So we sort of let the cat, cat out of the bag uh, a little bit around what we're talking about slightly but um, just to give you some more information there following on from our latest exchange episodes uh, which we haven't listened to yet i'd highly recommend it today we're looking at what makes a great technical leader which by extension what makes a great leader uh, and this is something that for obvious reasons i'm very passionate about and i'm keen to understand what you've learned throughout your careers as we continue to emerge from what has been a very crazy few years, I'm sure your skills and techniques uh, have all sort of changed and evolved uh, and uh, will continue to do so based on the business and team requirements that you're working with. In addition to that, the strategies used by leaders can be varied and at times very specific to different uh, situations and teams. So that's what we've got on the agenda today. Additionally, we'll be drilling deeper into specific subtopics chosen by each of our guests. Something that has been important uh, not just over recent years, uh, is that uh, strong engineering teams require great leaders. I know when I talk with developers and engineers, one of the first questions they always ask me is, what are the leaders like at that company? Even more so now, after we've seen redundancies in our industry, candidates are really keen to know not just what they'll be working on or who they'll be working with, but who they'll be reporting to. So without sort of jumping any further into that, I just wanted to kick off and speak to you first, Jason. 
you wanted to talk to us around sort of what what the differences are between a manager and a leader. So delving into sort of learned skills versus sort of existing talent. So take us away. Yes, thank you, Fraser. Yeah, that's actually a really good introduction. <laughs> sort of set the bar. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I was sort of just thinking about this topic. So I actually just, I was invited to this podcast last week. So I've been thinking about it. And it's amazing how you think about a topic in detail and then you you sort of then look at yourself and go you know very interesting um i wonder i wonder if i'm living up to the ideal i've been reading about but anyway so sort of talk about the sort of um topic i was sort of thinking about is that you know companies of various sizes have positions because typically unlike what is seen to be a healthy democracy in a, in a nation that is very democratic largely flat companies for the sake of efficiency and for the for the sake that doesn't affect as many people it tends to be hierarchical in nature so you know typically you have positions now in, in a hierarchical structure it's kind of implied that as you progress further up the tree down the tree there's some sort of notion of management there. there there's sort of people that are overseen by the node that precedes it so from that perspective there, there is this you know ideal notion that that person will be managing those people and you know in the ideal world they're their leader but you know when i came to think about it is that leadership in my mind is it's an ideal and a quality that people have it's just because you've been put in a position of management you have a lofty title and you have direct reports and they have direct reports or whatever doesn't necessarily mean you're a leader and I think that is something that people tend to forget. And it, especially in an organization that have that structure in place and someone comes from outside in and adopts that seat, sometimes people respect the seat. And sometimes I think people confuse that respect for the respect of them and what they're doing and the function they're providing in their capacity. So I think we really need to circle back and actually realize uh, and at least in my opinion, that leadership is actually, it's not given just because you're in a management position. It's actually a quality. In my mind, it's a quality like, you know, um, being charming or having empathy, uh, you know, being persuasive. They're, they're qualities. And I think people, some people just naturally have it in them. And just like some people are naturally athletic. And and th those people just do what they do. They, they, they do them. And... And you really see that come to the forefront when people are in a situations where the other people aren't forced to look up to them. And yet somehow there's an emergence there. So if you think of something like um, people, you know, I imagine, you know, the, 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 four, the three of you, uh, the four of you guys have probably been in a situation the listeners probably have. Think about a bunch of friends that gone together, you know, you, you, you've gone, you know, gone out night out and like, okay, it's time to uh, pick somewhere to eat and hasn't been pre-degraded upon. You know, they're the people that go, you know, I'm fine with whatever, you know, all good. Right? There's, there's, there's a sense of non-committal to that because you don't want to come up with something where people are going to like look at your suggestion and throw them back. And then you've got the other people that just go, you know, what about Indian? Um, and just throw it out there. They're, they're, they're putting themselves out there. And then, you typically find in a situation where people aren't forced to follow anyone, 
I think there's a natural emergence there because those people have a quality about them that makes other people want to follow them. Now, now as a general concept, I believe that applies to all fields, all areas, technical, what have you, creative. There's there's certain people that have a special special thing about them that you know make people want to follow them for some reason. So I, I that's my perspective on it. So then if we pick that apart. A lot has been written about when people are successful in what they do and people follow them. And it's a very enviable quality. And everyone, not everyone, but if you're in a position of leadership, you have a management position, you will want people to follow you. Because if they're able to follow you, then potentially you can get more productive, get things done. And it also, you know, it's, it's just a position that I'd imagine you'd want to be in. So then we look at the people who seem to just have it. And then we say, well, what other qualities there? And then people make lists and say, how can you get better at it? And, and that's just a sad reality is that not everyone can be Michael Jordan, <laughs> but but I, I, I have a feeling that you don't have to be for most things. I think you just have to you go, yes, yeah, some people are talented. They have something there. I've been put in a position of management. What are the intrinsic qualities that these people have and what can I work on? And then from there, you will opt on I think the most ideal thing is to optimize on the qualities that you are good at because people are bound to be good at their own thing. And so I think it's just a matter of balancing those attributes and looking inwards and going, is it working? And what can I compensate for? Because you may not be super charming, but you may be super technical. And being technical gives you the quality of gaining respect of your your reports, I guess. Or you may be super empathetic, but not technical. And... You know, people who are empathetic can put can place themselves in a position of their reports, and for that reason, they can imagine what they're feeling, and then do things to gain respect of them, so they can be followed, even though they're not technical. So I think that's that's you know that, that's a sort of perspective. So I, I I just think basically the gist of what I'm trying to say is that I think that you can't take for granted that just because someone gave you a title in your job, and you're a manager. It doesn't mean you're a leader. And I think it's an aspiration that we all should look inwards and go, how can we be better leaders? Because ultimately, that is what's going to make you successful, not the fact that you're the manager. But please, uh, Mary, you want to ask me a question, so please. Uh, Mary Beth, never Mary, Mary just when you know. <laughs> um, I was actually going to just add to that because I think what you're saying is really important and it's almost that... You know, there's the, there's that nature-nurture argument, isn't there, that, mm. you know, you have these inherent things that make you a leader. I think that if you are open to feedback and open to and have a growth mindset, it helps you become a leader. Um, and leadership is all about setting a vision, setting a, 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 a way forward for your team to follow that you can actually bring them on that journey with you. And I think that that can be learned but you have to be open to that learning. And I think that's what you were saying there, Jason, is that yeah, yeah, exactly. be open to the learning, be open to the fact that you may have some of these things intrinsically, you may not, but they can be learned mm. um, as long as you are accepting of that. Yeah, I just wanted to add that to it. I thought it yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, it's exactly like we were saying like confidence. Like confidence is something that, you know, people who have confidence have it in spades. And then if you have to ask, how do I be confident? And you probably don't have confidence. But it does. But if you don't have intrinsic confidence, doesn't mean you can't pretend to have confidence. You can't do something such that you can 
you know, have the effect like you have confidence because portraying confidence gives other people confidence. You know, I've, I've been, you know, not swindled, but, you know, no offense, Fraser, but, you know, um, recruiters, typically people who do that have confidence that Here they're he good at what they do. Uh, okay. Gauntlet thrown. <laughs> but it's, it's really true. What, what makes a good recruiter is obviously, at least in the initial introduction, is, is a confidence. And at times, even though I consider myself to be quite technical and knowledgeable in my my job, my, my craft, some recruiters have almost had me convinced that they know more than me about this thing because they, they portray this like level of confidence in in the company, in the roles. And so what I'm trying to say, that that is a quality of a leader. And for that short window of time until I come to my senses, it's like, I'm fine. That person has me like that. So that's what I'm saying. So you can you can have confidence and you are confident. But you can also like observe it in people and then adopt characteristics. And that's what I'm trying to say is that just because, you know, I'm the head of technology of a, you know, a company and Shashank has quite a, you know, quite an impressive role at um, Webjet and, and, and so so is my, and the other, other talkers. It's like, yeah, you have to realize that we're not, we're all human being and we're all the same as everybody else. The, the reason why we're in the situation we're in is because there was, at least for me, if I personalize, there was some goal that I had. And when an opportunity just came, I had to fire in my belly and then I, I went for it. And at never point a time have I ever felt ready for the next step. I just saw that and thought, well, I, I got to, you know, in a sense, fake it till I make it and, and get better at what I'm doing. And, and, and when I was, you know, not a head of technology and more of a, like, say, mid-level software engineer, a budding senior software engineer, I used to look upwards and go, these people have something special. Like, they're, they're, they're not human. But, you know, as you start moving up, you realize that everyone is human and everyone has the same doubts. It's just that some people have goals and they're willing to go through pain to achieve them and they're willing to put themselves out there. And some people don't. But I think, you know, with the exception of things that require attributes that are only attained by genetics, like height or athleticism, most things in the workplace are just interest, hard work, and opportunity. And 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 then recognizing the qualities that other people want to see and then adopting them. And I, I think you can find and that's why like mentors and having goals and those things help because or even like listening to Tony Robbins and stuff like that, because it seems like that stuff is just whatever, but self-belief goes a long way. And and even if you don't have it, betraying self-belief goes a long way. And so, so Mary Beth, that's exactly, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm not saying that if you don't have talent, you know, you can't make it far. What I'm saying is that if you don't have talent, be humble enough to recognize it and recognize what you can work on and what you do have and what you can emulate or mimic from people that you believe have it. And that that's pretty much the, the, the theme I'm kind of working with. And are you telling me that you were going to add as well, Mike? Yeah, uh, I think uh, it kind of relates to my experience, actually, to turn to what I am today. Uh, like uh, any other dev, just developing into the dev world, really not thinking about people or the next, right? That's natural progression. And when you're good at something, like, why don't you lead people? You know, that's where the conversation usually starts. And then when I was leading people as a dev mindset, right? Developer, they're not doing the same as me. They're not as efficient as me. These are the things that you pointed out they, because you just want to replicate yourself. Uh, but that's not happens in the real world. That's where I kind of pivoted. Is this really what I want to do? 
like managing people or I really want to do that. And I took a stab at the other side of it. Okay, I want to really work with people. Then what do I do? First, I need to unlearn what I've learned. Like stop pretending that I want my replicas. And then start to see people as people and then start to understand what is the leadership? What, how does it progress? And then they became very natural in that terms, starting to understand. And that's where I think I relate in terms of recognizing and learning and having that and keeping my doubt aside the experience of that and more empathetic and those kind of social attributes which definitely can be taught and learned and that's where I pivoted to the leadership as it is and the natural progression you know as a character you build it happens and yeah of course definitely Robert Williams helped me <laughs> in, in the middle of some of the conversations and uh, how to deal with people it's not a usual thing especially um, I live and breathe in development teams running meetups and all this sorts. So most of them don't even think about uh, these kind of concept of empathy and people. They only, they are very protective about their code. They're very sensitive. They own it. They, it's like their baby. And you don't, it's not, it's like a kid. Like you can't really want to share, but you want to make sure everyone appreciate your piece of work. You know, that's where we sit. And moving away from that top level and becoming a parent, right, in that sense. And making for a big cause it's a different experience and that like and one other thing i find very clear in, in the conversations here is there's no rule or guideline of how you transition into that role no uh, you're right yeah and, and there's no enough effort put in there's there's base camp courses how you become a senior dev there's courses how you become certain management role they call that management but the, how do you transform yourself into that there's no guideline and i, I think that's where everyone is trying to uh, help uh, in natural sense. Yeah, I think it's a, um, you know, I think this is an intrinsic problem with how things are done. Like, you know, because I am at its core, I am a software engineer. That is how, what I identify. If I, people say, what do you do? I'll say I'm a software engineer. Head of technology is a position that I have. And that position implies a certain level of responsibility. But, you know, my occupation is software engineer. And I think some people put, Forget that. Like some people have an ambition to be a manager. Um, I, I, that's a red flag to me because for me, the reason why I'm in a management position is because, you know, wh whether it, whether it's, um, you know, my ego speaking or not, like I think I'm the best person for the job. And it's not because I want to manage people and be in charge and be the boss that I am doing this. It's because I want to be, I want the best outcome. And I believe in this environment where I'm empowered to, to you know for that for that for, for myself to place myself in that position it, it just it seems like it's just a natural thing to do you know i have qualities that i believe i have intrinsically um if it's not already obvious i do have confidence i i'm a comfortable um you know speaker uh, i do have a, um i do consider myself to have a fairly high level of empathy i, I can place myself in at both sides of the equation and put myself in the, the shoes of the people I'm managing, also in the shoes of the people that I report to, like the business, the founders. So it's those qualities that I think I have, but it's just a, it's just a very interesting thing about how, how things are done. And I think what happens, being a software engineer and doing software development is very fun. It's a fun job. Like for people who, it's not fun for people who don't like it, but for those of us who live and breathe it, you know, who were like me and were just obsessed with this stuff from young. You know, I was 
programming like really cool games and stuff on my graphical calculator and um the you know, you know the early parts of high school um doing all that sort of stuff you know um i i'm of the age when you know um it was optional to use a mouse on your computer because you had a dual installation of you know um dos and windows 3.11 and that sort of thing and you know installing games from uh, command line games and configuring the sound you know what i'm from that generation where you know that wasn't the i did that because it was cool i did that because it was necessary but then i realized that i had an affinity for that sort of stuff you know i i i do have something about it and people i'd imagine shashank you're in the same category because you are what i see a technical leader i am being generous in my assessment that i have no idea if you're a leader i don't know but i'm assuming you're a leader but you are at least a technical manager you have taken that technical path and I would hazard to think that like myself, you identify in that way and they're the qualities that you bring. And what, what the problem about that, when you have a job that is intrinsically fun and complicated, people who are running a business or in a position of managing those people, when they, when they don't understand what you do, because let's face it, it is, it is quite hard. It, it's, it's so abstracted from them. So what ends up happening the way people cope with things they don't understand is that they revert to the things that they're good at and then it becomes other things. And and what I found is that there's like this culture of treating software engineers, software developers up to a level as resources. Thinking of them as as like tools that have inputs and outputs and and they're replaceable and you try to reduce business risk so everyone's everyone's roughly the same and all that sort of stuff. And and from a business I get it. Now that I'm in a position where I'm trying to build a team and trying to um, mitigate risk, I get that perspective. But as someone who considers himself to be like one of the top performers as an engineer, I never responded well to that. And and that's the dance we have as leaders, as, as particularly as technical leaders, is that we want the best people, but we also don't want to adopt risk in the business. So we want people to be replaceable but we'll want people to be, you know, gods in their field. They're mutually exclusive. If you want people to be replaceable, then by definition, you're appealing to a lowest common denominator. If you want to motivate good people, you have to give them ownership of something. But when they have ownership, other people don't have ownership. And so this is the dance we have as, as, as technical leaders. And, you know, I may ruffle a few feathers by saying this, but I think you can only really know that if you have... If you have a technical background, if you legitimately weren't one of those people that said, I got into management because I recognized that I wasn't as good at the technical stuff. So let, let's, let's let, let those nerds do that and I'll focus on the people stuff or the administrative stuff. If you're that person, and I know there's plenty of them and they're probably fuming right now for me saying this, but the fact is, if you're like that, you don't really understand how valuable your engineers are. What a big difference a good engineer and a good team makes to a poor team. You don't know the range of skills from these days of what is classified as a software engineer. And that's the thing. If you don't know that, how are you ever going to build a team, create a good culture and be a good leader if you don't intrinsically understand what it's like to be them? And, and, and that's it. So, so please, uh, uh, yeah, please um, ask a question. So, I think there's a there's a middle ground here. Um, I I was a software engineer, a software developer, and I thought I was pretty good. 
Um, but I was humble enough to realize that I am not the best and there are other people out there who are much better than me who were on my team. Um, and the, some time ago you talked about how, how you got the opportunity to become a manager and it was similar for me. It was uh, a position was made available. To be honest, I didn't think about it too much. I said, yes, why not? Um, I just said, yes. And why did you? Uh, I guess because why did you? Uh, it just seemed the next next uh, next step on the on the journey, I guess. Um, but then, as I started doing it, and I'll talk about it more later. But as I started doing it, it's it, you have to change what you're doing. You can't keep doing the same thing, as you said. You can't you can't keep coding as you start as you start becoming a leader or the manager of of people. Uh, even now, as you were talking about that I'm technical. Yes, I am technical, but I think on my team, I've got people who are far better at it than me. And uh, my job isn't to come up with the technical solution. It's for, it's to nurture a team so that we together can come up with a technical solution. Yeah, yeah so uh, to the business problem. With them, like, do you think your technical background, mm-hmm. I didn't say you had to be the cream of the crop in your technical field to be mm-hmm. the leader of them. What I'm saying is that you were amongst them in whatever spectrum there it is. So yeah. you, 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 you have enough humbleness and, and inward looking to realize that, you know, maybe not, yeah, I think, but you I are think, technical. At the end of the day. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, uh, look, when I used to develop software, when I used to actually code and I was allowed to code, um, I'm sure looking back. I'll, if I'll see any of the code I've written, it's, it's going to be shocking. Like, why did I ha- why did I do that? Some of the code is still hanging around, and I look at it and like, I was an idiot. Uh, I think it's it's the growth mindset around. Well, we have done this, and it's not it's not lived up to your expectation. Is there a better way of making software? So, to some extent, yes. Uh, my software engineering training and expertise has helped me understand those new concepts uh, as they have been embe- as they are embedded across across the world and bring those in saying hey there's a better way to do this let's do it this way and being able to yes to write empathize with the software devs as well that oh, this is what you might have been trained in uni but he has a better way to do this i may not know how to do it exactly i may not be an expert in whatever software language you're using but i know there is a better way and conceptually, I can understand and explain to them. And I can same, similarly conceptually explain it to the non-technical people, uh, my, man- my managers and, uh, and my leadership team, so that uh, the team is given space to do their work rather than be micromanaged or counted as resource. I mean, I, I agree with you. I hate that word resource. I never, ever use the word resource. They're people. They're people in the team. Yeah, well, th- th- that's the point I'm trying to make because you were one of them at some point, regardless of where you were on a spectrum. And so you value them as not resources. And you know, whether it's been my own personal experience, but it's definitely been experience of you know peers I've talked to who currently still treat like resources, that it's actually a thing. It- it's a thing like, think about like a lot of companies have made this movement to, you know, not necessarily being agile, but doing agile. And by doing agile is you find some framework, that you copy some company and this is what being this is this is agile i'm doing agile now we're agile 
and and then so scrum in my mind is probably the most common one and in part of scrum you have a scrum master now a scrum master in my mind is a glorified minute taker well they're supposed to be just the person and you're supposed to shuffle it around it's like every person in their team at some point should be the scrum master but companies are hiring for scrum masters they have certifications for scrum masters they don't have certifications for minute takers in meetings and, oh, and so oh, he, so, you're an ea right but, <laughs> but like even in like a normal meeting um i'm not talking about an executive type meeting i'm talking like a normal meeting in the in i think in a in a in a situation like you really even should shuffle the minute taking roll around everyone should 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 do it at some point and i have the same um point of view of a scrum master role but this is the point i'm trying to make is that there are environments where the scrum master is seen as superior to everybody else it's actually a role and they usually come from project management and those people don't know what it's like for everybody else in that team and that's the point i'm trying to make when you haven't come from them you don't know you can't empathize with them in the same way even if you are empathetic you, you don't know I, I don't know what it's like to be a doctor because i'm not one i, I don't know that, what it's like to be a nurse but i know what it's like to be an engineer uh, I, I think that leads me to i guess to a, a good segue point to jump in and uh, sort of say giant sort of one of the things that you wanted to talk about was sort of the influences and the factors sort of whether they're internal or external uh that lead to people becoming leaders so sort of run us through what your thoughts are there yeah as i think previously I, uh, I kind of covered this but i think the factor that really amazed me is that how would someone want to become a leader and what would drive them uh sometimes it's just the opportunity like we talked about for developers as a career progression natural transition or they have been force themselves into that role or they put themselves into that role and kind of experienced it and naturally they progressed into that but some people are like still figuring out their way and some people they naturally have the ability to become like you know to start leading the people and some people are understanding this better and i think this is a, this is a question for everyone else i want to hear your thoughts like what what else apart from hanging along the lines of these or more towards these what traits or any kind of things within the team or within the people that you work with have you seen that this leadership actually stands out a bit more and you can see and tell that how oh, there there are some like ways to identify these in people and position them position them in a better place like you know some people who are really good at coding are in a leadership position which they might not want to be and how do you transition them back and how do you transition a people who are not really liking to code but they are now enough of it they want to move to a different role or addition how do you identify this amongst your peers or you're working with the role this is what i want to know more about that's interesting i yeah yeah speak speaking personally as a software engineer and working some it's actually really hard to make the transition as a someone who's you know th- there's a certain level at which you can get to and then beyond that I think I think most people as a software engineer it, it it's you sort of look at what you're doing and think how long can you keep doing this for because it is a very demanding role like w- when you're younger you're arguably mentally sharper you just lack the experience but you make up for for enthusiasm and mental sharpness you can solve problems quicker you're more excited about the new framework and the new program language you, you spend your weekends doing you don't have a family you don't have kids that's all you do as you get older you have less time you have less enthusiasm but you actually have more experience and you have more wisdom as a result. And so that's a transition you make, but then eventually that runs out of legs. There's a point in time in which most people have reached that reached that sort of balance of wisdom, experience, 
and even pay. And if you're not thinking about that, eventually you you won't be able to do the job at the same level. So I think a lot of people think about what that is, but I know that a lot of people struggle to know what that is. What do I do next? And some people think maybe project management is the way. Some people think maybe I should, you know, go drive a bus or something afterwards or start my own business, be an entrepreneur. Or on some people just go, let's find that job that support people working for longer. And there are definitely places that do that. Um, it, it, it just depends. Very bad. Joy, I was going to say, just sort of picking up on the point you said, how do you know? How do you know if your team, if somebody in your team is looking for that? What I found is that as a as a leader, I am a, a, an IT leader. I did not come through an IT pathway. Uh, so from my perspective, I did find it was really interesting what you're saying, Jason. Um, I've done things in IT. Am I a technologist? No, but I am really curious about technology. And I think that that is what you want from your technical leaders. They have an understanding, so they do understand where you're coming from. And I think that's really, that's an important thing. So if I want to understand something, if I'm the one that my guys is working on some piece yeah. of technology, I actually go and research that. So I've got an understanding of what it is. Yeah. Not that I'm going to sit back and code it because I'm not going to yeah. do that because I've got another job to do. But one of the things I was going to say is that when you actively listen and mentor your team members or coach them, start asking them the, the, the open questions to find out what it is that they want to do in their careers. And what I have found when I have those conversations is those individuals that are really true technologists mm. tend to shy away from the leadership role because there's that idea that if I'm leading a team, I can no longer be hands-on. And a lot of it is I like to be a bit hands-on. I like to be, I would like to lead a team. Can I do both? Yeah, I think is you know there it. a way yeah. that I can do both? Absolutely. You absolutely nailed that. And and there absolutely is. You can still lead people. You can you can be an enterprise architect. You can do those things. You can move up and be a, as you are, Jason, head of tech. You can do that and still dabble a bit. Yeah, the fact is I am still hands-on, but that, that it's very probably the best description of my role, and it's very vague, is that just Google startup CTO and that's probably it. So startup CTOs are like are like the person of the gaps. So you're building yeah, a team. Doing both. You're in yeah, and out, yeah. in You're and building out, in a team, but you don't have the people yet, but there's a market need. So you have to do that until figure out what's required in that role. And then, then eventually find someone to take it on. And then eventually, eventually you have all the all the facets covered. And then, you know, the involvement becomes less. Right now, I'm in that transition state where I'm trying to build that core team. So I am still hands-on, but it has downsides because I'm, I'm incredibly busy. And I'm straddling still- so you, you can still have that conversation. So Jai, when you were asking that question, how do I know as a leader, how do I know who is the person to that I, you know, I'm going to sponsor and help move up in the next space? How do I know they want it? I've had individuals in my past where I've seen something in them and it's like, man, you are my next leader. And they, and they've been, they shy away from it because there's that, there's, what if I fail? It's really interesting yeah, for me. Exactly. What's interesting is this. I'm okay to fail in a tech space, mm. right? Because if I fail, I fail fast and that's okay. But what will people think of me if I'm a leader and I fail? And what I say to that is it's all about course correction, isn't it? If I code something that isn't quite right, when I go back through and I do my quality assessment of that code, then I'm going to course correct. It's mm-hmm. the same as if I'm a leader, right? 
if I'm a leader and I I make a decision based on the I make an informed decision based on the information I have at a given point in time, if it is not the right decision going forward, then I course correct. And mm. I, and and as leaders, we're never afraid to say, "Hey, no, I didn't get that quite right. Let's 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 we got to tap it over here a bit, guys, and let's move this direction." So I hope that gives you some sort of a. That's my thing yeah. anyway. Uh, no, 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 that's. That's that's really awesome. Uh, sh- sh- yeah, I think building on what Mary Beth said, I think I I agree. It's um, it's a conversation that you have with your team, and you'll find people who you, you don't need to be a manager to be a leader. That's one thing. You don't need to have a title to be a leader. Uh, you will find leaders in. You might be having a a discussion about hey how we hey team how we going to solve this uh, new project or new challenge we have to do and you naturally see someone sort of leading the conversation and leading the conversation doesn't need or in my mind is not someone who says this is how you want to do this let's move on sometimes it might be that but most of the time it's the person who's who's inquisitive person who is asking others opinion person who is listening to what other one is other someone else is saying picking out the the nuances in there picking out the highlights in there reframing it perhaps altering it because no one has a perfect idea of how to do something and yeah i mean you can have you can have leaders who are architects and you can have leaders who are tech, tech leads you can have leaders who are team leads who actually say that you know what let me try my hand at uh, managing people um, and we have to support them uh, like it, at at webjet we have had people who have become people leaders and after a few years I said you know what I prefer not to lead people so can we do that and we have tried to make that happen and we have done that so I think that's it's is important um, what allows a free flow of this information is psychological safety they have to be feel safe to able to be able to tell you what they think and what they feel without feeling that oh there's a sore hanging on my neck and I can't say it Wow. Uh, yes, that's that's true. And a lot of the a lot of the answer I get when I ask them is that I don't know. Do you think I'm ready for it? And I said, Well, let's try it. You know, you go. And, yeah. And that's where we we kind of end up seeing if it's a natural progression. Mm-hmm. I think there are roles that people can transition to that give them the the taste of leadership without the the pressure of the label. So, for example, you could. A senior engineer could be put into like say because they deserve it's it a like, like a technical lead role where they can do like management light and if they decide that it's not really they're not ready to make the next transition it's okay because they're not seen like they wouldn't see themselves as failures because that 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 role doesn't necessarily require that but it allows it and i, I think that is that's how you can keep because here's the thing like so so Marybeth, you mentioned you're not super technical, but you know, from what I'm seeing from our interactions now, I think you do have a high level of empathy in how you do things. And I think you found a solution to compensate for the lack of technicality. And I think that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The people I'm talking about who aren't technical and they are not willing to, to recognize that in themselves and they're not willing to figure out and do that research or find someone who knows and work with them. I think I think that is that is exact antidote, and, and and the opposite is true. If you're super technical and you don't have really the people skills, 
there has to be something you can do that you can work on to to bridge it but it's the ability to recognize it in yourself and i think that's what's important and so so um shashank and mary bell i think you you both represent like almost the extremes of that in a sense and and, and i you know i'm not just saying i actually think both of you would have been leaders in your own right uh for that reason because that's exactly it's that empathy and and exactly what you're saying is the exact team i would have loved to work on that time non-technical leader non-technical it's it's that it's that quality that you have i think that's what makes a leader and it's not the ego of being a leader it's the fact that you said leaders can come from everywhere is exactly time back to my first point some people have it and some people you know you see it in them and it's your job as a leader to nurture it out of them if they don't have the confidence how are you going to build it up but we want to make ourselves redundant, right? Because if we that, don't make ourselves the best redundant, manager. there's nothing else There's nothing else for us to move on to. Yeah, the best I managers think. are aiming for redundancy because they have so much confidence they're so good at their job that they go, well, if I'm, I am redundant here, I'm sure they'll find a use for me somewhere else. And that's it. And that, that bit opens up that opportunity. Yeah. I think that leads a perfect segue into what you were sort of talking about, Shashank, and our, our discussions there around sort of it's more than likely not the right term when I'm sort of saying it in, in sort of front in front of four technical leaders, but that sort of embedded leadership where you sort of get to know your team, you get to know what their skills are, potentially what their weaknesses are, and you you sort of mentioned it really well. You know, leading from inside the team instead of leading from up in the tower, looking down on what your team's doing, and so sort of knowing and being able to empower both the team as a whole, but also empowering individual members of the team. So, could you go into a little bit more detail around sort of how, how yeah. you've sort of trained yourself to do that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I think the the biggest problem uh, I faced uh, and many people face when they become a leader is again the not not having not distinguishing between a leader and a manager. And generally, the first time you become a leader is when you become a manager. And whenever you become a leader, uh, is People think that you you are the one who's going to solve it for them. You are the one, especially in a technical sense, you are the one who's going to give them the solution. And the worst thing is you actually also think that. So you set yourself up for uh, up for failure, uh, and you have to you get super stressed. You think you have to go into your room, into your cave, try and come up with this eureka answer. And the thing is, you don't. It's uh, you have to. You, you have to rely on other people's skills and expertise sometimes to solve solve the situation. Um, and, and when this happens initially, um, when you try and solve everything yourself, um, generally one or two things happen sometimes at the same time. You, um, as time goes along, you lose some of the technical depth because you are devoting more of your time to people management, more of your time um, sp- is spent there. And you don't have the best answer anymore. And second, even if you do, you are now the bottleneck. What is the team doing? Or we'll wait for the leader, the great leader to tell us what we are going to do. Some failure happens or the great leader told us to do this and failure happens. So it's it's his or her fault. So um, I think Marybeth just preempted me. That is exactly right. Your goal should be to make yourself redundant that you don't need that. This is a, it's not a, when we say that, it doesn't mean it will actually happen, but it's a const, continuous progress towards that goal uh, that, that, uh, that, that's important. So 
what I like to do as a leader and what I like all my leaders to do is push down their decision-making power and decentralize it and push it down as low as possible. At least one level down and that person pushes it one level down. And, and set up your team for success so that they can make decisions, technical or otherwise, without you being present. They have enough uh, context on uh, how to make the decision, what to think about and making this decision. And they may not make the same decision that you will, and that's fine. This, even any decision anyone makes is not going to be perfect. Um, a, a really good book where it sort of captures these these things is um, is a book uh, by David Marquette called Turn the Ship Around. Um, it's a story of uh, it's a true story of a, a nuclear submarine captain uh, when he's put in charge of uh, the lowest performing nuclear submarine in the U.S. fleet and how he turns it around to become the highest performing submarine. And uh, the the essence of that book is around the three pillars that he puts it as uh, uh, control, competence, and clarity. So you have to let go of the control. You're no longer in control. You have to ensure your team is competent. So there's technical competency or uh, could be uh, non-technical competencies as well, listening to other listening skills and things like that. And what your job then as a leader remains is the clarity. You have to ensure that your team and their team, at least a couple of levels down, has clarity of what they are doing. What is the intent of the task? They've been asked to do X, Y, and Z project. That's great. Why? What is what is the driving factor? Uh, they may not need to know the in-depth details, but they need to know the intent of, of, of what we are doing. And once they know the intent, they are more involved in the, in the decision-making. They are more involved in uh, what's the best way to solve it. I mean, any any technical project, there are 100 ways to solve it technically, um, but not all of them are, are useful. You have to know, are there are there deadlines there? Are there real deadlines? Are there soft deadlines? Is it, are we going to make a million more dollars if we release it this month? Then maybe a long-term a big solution may not be right. You 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 are okay to carry the technical debt because guess what? You're gonna make a million dollars in a month. So all of those things are important, and I mean that's the job of a good leader to be able to have those three things in place. I think we. Uh, I think I have an answer why Webjet is the biggest online. In the... <laughs> <laughs> no, honest, but, but yeah, but yeah. Um, honestly, that that is. Yeah. Okay. I think you're a great leader. I think, I think honestly, I think your team is very lucky to have you. If if more people in these, you know, positions were like yourself or like Maribeth, I think I think the technical space would be less toxic, more enjoyable for developers, uh, more enjoyable for everyone, really. Um, There's such a balance, though, Jason, isn't there? And and Jai, you're also a good leader. I'll say because um, <laughs> you've got Jai in that space and okay. is, is that balance as well isn't there that's that being able to balance what it is that the executive want what the board want regardless of the size of your organization as you know the leaders that we are you have to be able to have those conversations to take people on that journey and I think it sort of goes back to the points that all three of you have been making it's around vision setting isn't it getting a really getting clarity of vision and when you have clarity of vision it and you understand why you're doing something 
and how it's going to benefit the organization. It is such an easy conversation to then have with your team to take them on that journey. And that's really at the end of the day, what leadership is about is that having that passion for the journey that you're going on, being able to really encapsulate what the vision is for your team for the broader team, for the organization, so that you can all move in the right direction or the same direction. Um, I think, what is it, and a leader that I used to have once said to me that you know, um, we all have to paddle in the same way, you're in a dragon boat, everyone has to paddle in the same direction, otherwise the boat just, just goes around in circles. And I think that's a really important piece um, to understand that. Yeah. Uh, something similar that uh, that reminds me is that we we actually follow this kind kind of this uh, uh, two-way door edition. This is picked up from Amazon, and my CEO uses that a lot. Like for for a list of decisions, we like at least when I joined Syncio at early stages, like the way he was training me to make certain decisions was like, "Hey, is this a two-way door?" So just to give essence of that decision making is like. If you make a decision, you can revert back at certain point when you think it's failed or whatever it is. Let's just go ahead. Don't need me to make a decision. If it is one way door, then let me know because that's more important. Like you know, and then uh, nurturing me to understand what is the importance of one way door. Like what else those important, and and for me that was installed at the start of this journey, and so I installed back to my team backed out and now I make less and less like progression is a clear that I have less and less meetings with my uh, EMs or anything that I make less and less decisions and there are less and less ones so and then we kind of like cultivate that kind of habit and which which goes back to that push it down as much as you can and then I think Netflix also follows the similar kind of as well as what I heard but I'm sure so Mm. That's interesting. Right. interesting. There's some Jim Collins stuff in there. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah and yeah. there's the flywheel and all those sorts of things. So Jim Collins, yeah, if you yeah. haven't read his stuff, really, really interesting. I love the whole analogy of the seat on the bus. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting um, about that. Yeah, it actually it actually goes back to what I was saying about you, you actually create efficiencies by doing that. And you actually provide an environment where people feel like they have more autonomy. So you actually solve two problems there. If you do it well, you actually make it more efficient and you raise the morale of, of the people working there. They feel like yeah. they're more empowered. Um, you're mentioning, you know, your, let's say, manager um, had this sort of style with you and you've instilled it to, you know, people who um, report to you. That, that That's exactly the what good leadership is. It, it, it's that it, it's it, it it creates that environment because you know, if you look if you look at the past podcasts of evolution exchange and in general they're all around the same themes you know effective leadership what makes a great tech leader uh you know build great company culture staff retention um how do you how do you foster a culture of innovation these are these are all the same thing you know great leaders can create an environment that has a great culture that therefore can foster innovation um, that makes the place enjoyable such that you can have better staff retention. Staff retention, then those people stay, become great leaders. It, it's, a, it's a complete feedback cycle. All these things, are, they're all interrelated things. Not, I don't think they're, they're separated concepts. And, you know, it starts from it starts from that. It's just having a vision, being decisive and executing and having a style that you, you, you want, you believe is part of this business and allowing people to to do that. You know what? And you know what's really interesting? Have you ever had or been in a business where you've had a really, where, where there's been a lack of leadership, poor leadership, or really destructive leadership? 
Have you ever been in a business or been uh, reported into somebody like that? 100%. Yeah. What you'll find is that you could have the most confident person and they could be systematically completely disempowered to a point where they completely fall apart and it takes less than six months. And I think that that is an absolute travesty. And we still have a lot of organizations out there that treat people appallingly and feel that they they can do that and they have the right to because they're paying for the service. And that's that resource piece. Resource thing. Yeah. And that's, and what's really interesting is that um, I was at the speaking engagement today and they were talking about presenteeism again. When will, when will senior leaders, CEOs, board, et cetera, realize that your bottom doesn't need to be on the seat for you to be a productive member of the workplace. Um, I think, and we're starting to see all that sort of stuff shift around quite considerably now. And as the leaders that we are, we really have to sort of stick to our guns to be able to say, you know what, this hybrid model works. These things work. And when we empower our teams, we get great results. Let's keep focusing on that and helping our leaders understand that but yeah, it's going to be really interesting. The landscape is going to be very interesting in the next year or so, I suspect. Yeah, in the culture of businesses, it, it's been like shaken on its head from essentially the global pandemic because there's like this status quo of how things are supposed to be. And then boom, okay, everyone's working from home now, everyone, except for the, uh, the people who weren't working from home. And it's quite interesting. It, it's, it's, I'd imagine it would be scary for some people who have roles that only make sense when there's an office and there's people to look over. It, it, it's it's an interesting thing because Attackforge is a remote first company. That is how we've decided to do things. Um, the only requirement is that at this stage, we would want people to be in roughly the same time zone. But beyond that, in Australia, as long as it's, you know, we can go as far as Adelaide and all the way up and all the way down, um, it's going to work. And, but the difference is that a fully remote environment is not fan- or super fantastic either. You have to compensate for the bad parts of it. And likewise, a fully in-office environment is not perfect either. You have to compensate for that. And a hybrid also has its problems. Because if you have a culture of we're largely an in-office company, but we have this hybrid arrangement and the people that turn up get the attention and the people that don't turn up don't, you're actually disadvantaging your people who are remote. In a, in a, in a purely remote environment, it favors a certain type of person and when it doesn't favor that purpose, you have, person, you have to compensate for that as a, you know, as a leader, as a manager, as a company, as a culture. And when you're completely in person, some people get shy in front of people. And those people don't talk in meetings and don't contribute. And those people get left out. They get left out of the promotion. They, they potentially have untapped potential. And so I think we have to realize that there is no perfect solution. You just have to realize the limitations of whatever you're doing. And don't, don't go out of your way to like disadvantage people. Realize that everyone is different and realize what you can do to compensate for it. So, yeah, and I think that, that, that that's really the theme of this. Just no one is perfect. No one has all the answers, but just be humble enough to recognize that there's always room for improvement. And I think that leads perfectly into sort of what, what is going to be the, the sort of the final point of the day. And you, you mentioned something that actually gave me a perfect segue where you, you sort of mentioned sort of being looked over for, for promotions and then having promotions out there. And I, that sort of leads me to something that you and I have spoken about Mary Beth around uh, having those opportunities put in front of you and, and I know that you're, you're very uh, fond of the don't, don't be afraid to pivot be afraid not to H- how does that sort of lead into 
lead into leadership in the sense that you know if you're, you're moving from a role that t- typically isn't your sort of classic leadership role but being able to pivot into something that that does give you that power to to be in a leadership position I, i'd love to hear more about your thoughts around that Look, I think it's around transferable skills, really understanding what those are. But I was actually going to say something, and, and it's slightly different to what we discussed. Sure. Is I think that the conversation has gone in a slightly different direction. And I want to say this is around this, whether you're working in a fully remote, hybrid or in-person type of uh, environment, thinking about your branding, your internal branding and building your sponsorship up becomes really important if you want to become or be seen as uh, as an up-and-coming leader. And even if you are a leader. So you may know what all of your transferable skills are or you may have a very clear indication of what they might be. Um, things like, well, uh, I've done a little bit of project management, so that's something I can take and transfer in because they're the Scrum Master as an example or something like that. But knowing what those transferable skills are is an important step. But I think really, truly understanding the value that you bring to an organization and then how you brand that or brand yourself within the organization so that you are seen, regardless of whether you are physically in the office or not. I think that picks up, Jason, your point. Also, Shashank, it brings up, it, it touches on your point. And Jai, I think it touches for you as well, is that it's not what you know but as my coach says this in fact it's not my saying so i need kudos to her amanda blessing I'll, I'll throw her name in there but it's not what you know it's not who you know it's who knows what you know <laughs> right yeah. and it's about that and it is about cultivating sponsorship now if you don't know what a sponsor is because it's not a mentor and it's not a coach if you don't know what a sponsor is and you don't know if you have a sponsor you then you really yeah, well, yeah, actually, you might not know, but no, no. what you'll find is that people don't actually understand the value yeah. that you bring to the organization other than you're a really good developer, yeah. right? And if you're just seen as you're a great developer, then that's where you get stuck in the, you're just a resource. You're just some, you are, you are a tool that I use to get an outcome. Yeah. And I think that that is the piece that understanding who your sponsors are, understanding who the individuals are within your organization and being able to tap into what value you bring really will help you when you are looking at making that next step into leadership. And if you're already a leader and you want to get to the executive, how do you get to that? And if you're on the executive, how do you get to the board? Because it's not just about doing your AICD or getting an MBA. It's not about that. It is about people knowing the value that you're bringing to the organization and if 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 people do not know that then you will remain in this position that you're in for a very long time yeah i think it's what i'm my, my dad used to say to me in some form like he and my dad is basically a, a career electrician largely retired now but th- that was the upbringing that i had you know like get your hands dirty and do that stuff yourself type of thing but what he instilled in me is that be useful and understand your usefulness and let the other people understand your usefulness. And largely it's, it's aligned with exactly what you're saying. And, and that is, I've taken that with me throughout my journey. And I've also found people that even they never saw themselves as sponsors for me, I, I saw them as someone that I can see the aspects of them that I admire in their career path and learn something from them and, and, and see like, what can I adopt and, you know, partially fake it 
um, whatever or adopt something. And and that 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 was the benefit when I was working in a large company with a very diverse workforce. You know, not only just developers, you had all sorts of people. Um, my, my previous role, I was working for um, basically a, a large transportation company, and um, you know, there's people, train drivers, uh, all sorts of people, um, HR, everything, everything in between. People that uh, you know look after cleaning the train stations, and people, and and in that environment, it really let me know, you know, there's such a diverse people, and everyone is useful, everyone is important. We're just in a situation where some people get paid more for it. But the reality is that everyone, you can learn something from everyone. And I found someone that I admired, not because they had a lofty role, just because I admired their dedication and the fire in the belly for their role. And and I took that with me. And when the opportunities came, I took them. And um, yeah, that's... Well, what you said, Mehmet, is very interesting because I find, especially when... Uh, the new, the transition, this transition happens, right? And when they do transition, they put a lot of effort into that role, right? They put a lot of effort into becoming what they're becoming, they're burning their midnight oils to become that leadership. But then when you say it actually hits me because when you don't have a sponsor who is not seeing all that, who is not able to sponsor you, then all the effort is just down the drain in the in some sense. Yeah. It is... It is kind of a sad, but it is the reality part of it. It's actually a part of that leadership transition training is like, you got to know, you got to know your sponsor, which is, which is quite good. I like it. You also, also ask the question, I'd be, be curious, ask open questions, but actively listen to the responses that are given to you and don't be waiting to respond. Mm. And the, the key to a really good conversation is taking what is served to you, ingesting that, and then coming back with something that helps grow that conversation, not thinking about what you're going to say next. And when you're dealing with people that are potentially going to be sponsors, it's about that, understanding what pain points they're feeling and then then offering up how you might be able to help solve that. That's really one of the keys to it. How are we going for time, Fraser? Yeah, I think with the four of you talking, I mean, we've got right close to the end there. So that I, I think I, I need to sort of pull it in there or else the, I'll probably get told off by having a podcast that's too long and sort of lose out at the end. But uh, look, all I can say, guys, is uh, I really appreciate the four of you coming on. I, I know that I can speak for everyone from the exchange and saying thank you for joining us and uh, sharing your sort of insights and your experience. I know you've all given me a, a huge amount to think of. I, I, I think I need to start thinking about uh, how I can get more sponsors in other companies, but that's probably just the recruiter of me talking. Uh, but uh, I, I love the way that you guys have all approached it from a similar way, but but also from your own sort of unique uh, history and, and sort of perspectives, which I think was really fantastic. So uh, yeah, again, from Evolution and from The Exchange, thank you very much uh, for giving your time and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah.